and read verse 15. It's 2.15 says, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat at the fruit of every tree in the garden. Say every tree. It wasn't like a place where you go pick apples and there's like 35 trees, okay? This is like a whole massive area. You can eat of all of it. That tree. Don't eat of it. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you and you are sure to die. So at the beginning of time in humanity, God gives Adam this clear command. Do not eat the tree. People say, well, Eve did it. Well, God gave the command to Adam, so they are both at fault. The Lord gave them the stewardship of the garden and said they could eat of every single tree except for that one. They were not to take the fruit for themselves, but they could eat. But they, what do we do, though? Eve's hanging around like, yeah, so this is the one tree. I can't eat this tree. What's up with it? This tree looks good. It's an interesting tree. I mean, you can, it's like our kids. If you say, hey, you can eat everything in that pantry. This one box, just don't touch that one. Man, even if they weren't interested in that one box, that is now all that they are thinking about is that one box. What's in the box? Why can't I have the box? I'd be interested in the box. I wonder what the box tastes like. Man, this would be interesting. Maybe maybe it's not that good. But as the biblical account goes, Eve engages conversation with the serpent. Half God said she eats, gives to her husband to eat. Sin enters the world. And now we got issues. Today I continue the series I launched last week. If you missed last week, tune in. I think we have last week up, right? Awesome. Last week is a had a couple issues there, but it's taken care of. It's up. And we launched a series on the blessed life. I want to be blessed. Has anything changed last week? Everybody raised their hand. Do we still all want to be blessed? Yes. All right. So the blessed life. Lord, thank you, God, so very much for just what we feel. Sometimes I take it for granted. I think we all take it for granted. We walk in. We feel your presence. Hear great worship and talented singers and musicians, God. And we have people that are investing in our children downstairs, picking people up, running sound and technology, greeting people. Oh, there's so many great people in this church. Please bless them, Lord, for being a blessing. Use us, Father, in this upcoming year to impact our community in a powerful and a marvelous way, God. Because we believe in what we're preaching and living. And, Lord, we want other people to experience that same thing, God. But, Lord, I pray that you'd speak through me, that our every heart and mind would be open, not only here, but I know that people are tuning in online live and will be watching or listening later. God, let this word go forth the way that you want it to. In Jesus' name, amen. What we find in this account is the principle behind we talked about it last week, the tithe. The tithe is the first 10%. Now I know you might say, how in the world did you just get the tithe out of the story of Adam and Eve in the garden? When you're a preacher, you can get something out of anything. People that want to say that paying tithes is only law of Moses. I, I, I ran at people, across people like, oh, pay a tithe. That's the law, law of Moses. That's not for today anymore. But they forget that the principle of tithing actually predates the law. It's before the law. Abraham paid 10% of his first fruits to a man named Melchizedek, which, depending on your theology, that's a theophany of form of Jesus, or it was the high priest of that day. So it's something that has always been a principle in the history of the world. But Adam and Eve can show us that something that sometimes 
Humans even do this today. God gave them an entire garden filled with trees and fruit. But instead of focusing on all that he has given them, they start focusing on what he's keeping from them. And sin results in that. Adam and Eve didn't allow God to keep what he said was his. Do you understand? Don't eat of that tree. That's mine. They didn't let God keep. Guess what happened? Said was his. And sin resulted in that. And guess what happens when God says, the first 10% is mine. But we deem that we need to taste that too. We are disobeying God. And we are taking ourselves outside of his plan. The word translated tie that actually means tenth, hence the fact that a big ten is up there. I was not, that was not, I was not rating my preaching. The number ten, do you know what the number ten represents in the Bible? Well, you see ten, you think tithe. No, it's, it's bigger than that. The word ten represents testing. Interesting. If I'm going to make a statement, I better give you a little bit of proof. Look at the word. How many times did God test Pharaoh's heart with plagues? Ten. How many commandments hang on the walls of some of our homes? Ten. How many times did God test Jacob's heart by allowing his wages to be changed as he was working for Uncle Laban for the love of his life, Rachel? Some of you are like, I have no idea, but I'm going to guess 10. And you're right. How many days was Daniel tested in the first chapter of the book of Daniel? 10. The pattern continues in the New Testament. In Matthew 25, 10 virgins had their preparedness tested. There are 10 days of testing mentioned in Revelation 2. The number of 10 is, is associated with testing throughout Scripture. And guess what? The tithe or the 10%, that first 10% of our increase, is the ultimate heart test for believers. God considers the tithe to be holy. The word holy means separated, sanctified, set apart. In other words, the first 10% is to be separated and set apart unto the Lord. It's the tree in the garden that God tells us not to consume. That first 10%, that's the tree in the garden that God said. So before you laugh at Adam and even say they messed everything up, and now we got to work for a living, labor pains, and, and all these things. Just remember, there's a tree in your garden, too, that you're not supposed to consume. Look at Deuteronomy 26, 13. It says, then you must declare in the presence of the Lord, your God, I have taken the sacred gift, New King James Version calls that the tithe. It's the sacred gift. It's referring to the tithe here. And he says, from my house, and have given it to the Levites. Those are the priesthood, the, the Levitical priesthood. Foreigners, orphans, widows, just as you commanded me. I have not violated or forgotten any of your commands. Notice one of the key phrases of that passage. It says, from my house. Everybody read it with me. Say, from my house. I have taken the sacred gift, the tithe, from my house. 
When you truly understand that the tithe is the Lord's, it is separated and holy. If you believe that, you don't even want it in your house. You want to get it out of your house. That first 10%, the longer it stays in my house, the more I'm tempted. The longer Eve hung around the tree, the longer she did that, the more she was tempted to just consume it and see what it's like. That's sin in general. But the longer that I keep that tithe in my house, I say, man, I could really use that for the kids' college. I could really use that for groceries. My car needs gas. The payment is due. The rent is up. So the longer it stays in my house, the more temptation it presents. So what do I do? If the tithe is holy, consecrated, set apart to the Lord, I want to get it out of my house into where it is, is supposed to be. For some of us, we need to start practicing that principle of getting it out of the home because it's there too long. Even though we are not intentionally robbing God, we are accidentally bringing curses upon ourselves because the first root is staying too long in the house and it's tempting us to consume it ourselves. And so you can say, oh, I didn't know. No, it's not robbing God because I just forgot to pay. My no, no, no. I just haven't gotten around to my bills. No, I didn't mean to. I've just missed a few times, but I'm going to catch back up. That is against the plan of God. That first 10%, I got to get that thing out of my house as quickly as possible because I don't want God to misunderstand me. I, I, this is yours. It's not even mine. It's not staying in here. It's out of my house. I want, I want you to bless my home. I, don't want, I want to rebuke the devourer. Look at this important detail. In the biblical account where Jesus multiplied five loaves and two fish to feed thousands of people. Look at this, Matthew 14, 19. He told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took five loaves, two fish, looked to heaven, blessed them, and then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed to the people. Had a miracle taken place yet? I don't see a miracle there. I don't see any miracle right here. All he did was pray over the food. Thousands of people are hungry, and he got five loaves and two fish. Imagine being on the front row, being like, what in the world do they think that they are getting ready to do? You'd have been like pushing through, being like, ah, I'm right here. I'll take one of those fish sticks right here. Just like Christ gave them the gospel message to spread. Christ said, I called you. I called you and you've been empowered. Now go take this gospel message and change the world. Before that happens, he says, here's five loaves, two fish. I'm going to put it in your hands. Before he ever entrusts them with the gospel message, he first entrusts them with five loaves and two fish to share. Have you ever thought about this? Could it be possible that this was simply a test where Jesus was seeing if his disciples could open their hand with something physically vital? Five loaves, two fish, thousands of people. 
How many of you, if, he, if you were the inner group, the inner core group, and God handed you a bunch, and you looked around, would you have said, man, we got to get this in the hands of other people? I think many of us would have said, stinks to be them. Let's eat, guys. But before they could be entrusted to change the world with passing on the gospel message, they first get five loaves and two fish before he could entrust them with something eternally. Could he trust them with something physically? If they had just eaten the food themselves, it would have remained five loaves and two fish. Get that. If they would have just, here you go. He prayed over the food, and he said, oh, guys, come here. Here we go. Come on. Here. Here you go. I got five loaves and two fish, and we got five of us right here. You guys want to eat these fish sticks? Five, eat these five loaves? All right, let's pray. Here you go. Here you go. Here you go. Here you go. Now it's up to you to distribute there's thousands of people here. You have to admit that there might have been a, I'm fixing to eat this thing. But the miracle does not transpire until the thing that God put in their hands, they decided to open their hand and give that to someone else. That is when, thanks guys, that's when the miracle transpires. Understand so only, here's the, here's the point of that, only what is given away can multiply. Only what is given away can multiply. Understand, if you're sitting here saying, well, I pay my tithes, man, this is a good message. This is for these other saints over here. They need to hear this. I pay my tithes. I'm a giver. I just want to clarify something. This might rock your world a little. You are not a giver if you pay your tithes. I don't mean to be offensive. I don't mean to step in anyone's toes. But we are not givers if we pay our tithes. There is a big difference between tithing and giving. Tithing is simply trusting God to be your provider and giving back to him what is already his. He said, the first fruit is mine. The tithe is the Lord's. That's in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus does not reteach the tithe because he says, when you tithe, and he goes into it. That would be like me when you came in today saying, oh, hey, guys, now just remember, when you walk down this aisle, you want to put one foot in front of the other because it's very important. If you go too fast, you're going to fall down. You'd be like, who do you think you're talking to? Because you don't reteach what you're not. He, this has been around for thousands of years. Jesus says, hey, when you're tithe, this is the way it's done. Because it was a principle that was ingrained in them. He didn't have to reteach it. That's why you don't see it a ton in the New Testament. But he says the tithe, the Bible says the tithe is the Lord's. So I say, hey, I'm a giver. I pay my tithes every paycheck. Every single time I get money, I pay my tithes. I'm a giver. No, you're not. You are returning to the Lord. What he already said is his. So you're obedient. You're aligning your life in obedience. But you're not a giver. 
Offerings is where giving starts to come in. A giving, giving is anything that you give above and beyond the requirement of the tithe. So you could say, hey, there's a special offering, a global missionary. Oh, I want to I give to that. Wow, thank you for being generous. Thank you for your gift to that missionary. Because we cannot really keep what does not belong to us in the first place. The way we consume what God provides for us is indicative of where we are at with him, and it shows what's in our heart. It's no coincidence that in the book of Revelation, the Antichrist is fixing to come onto the scene, and that's going to happen at some point. And what does he attempt to do to dominate people? Do we know? He attempts to dominate economics. It's no coincidence. Revelation 13, 16, he required everyone small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or the forehead, the mark of the beast. And no one could buy or sell anything without the mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing the name, which we find out is 666. He aims to prevent people from buying or selling unless they submit to him. And any time you have an increase in your resources and your finances, you will submit to someone's plan. It's no coincidence that when the devil's going to try this, he tries to control economics. He's always wanted to get into the pocketbook of the believers and control it. And so, you will always submit to someone's plan. The plan might be tithes, offerings, a stewardship campaign, a benevolent fund, or it might be a new car, a vacation, a bigger home, a 401k. And investing in those things is not wrong. But I want to make sure built into my monthly financial plan is a line item that allows me to be a giver. That I will have some that says stewardship campaign, missions, that I am building that in. Because guess what? If I say I'd like to give to missions, I'll see if I have anything left over this month. It's not going to happen because I like to consume too much. So I want to plan ahead because I want being a giver is important to me. So I plan for it. Dave Ramsey makes that joke about people that go in debt every Christmas. And he says, like, like, oh, whoa, Christmas is here. He says, you know, guys, it's the same time every single year. It repeats every single year. How does it surprise us over and over and over again? So we, we plan to be givers. We plan for these things. But we have to find a balance. <clears throat> In the principle of money and material blessings. It's so tense in here. Anytime you talk to somebody about money, they're like, oh, I'm fixing to wait for you. You better be careful right now. Talk about my money. Everybody just look at your neighbor and say, he's talking about money and it's okay. We have to find balance because some Christians think you should not own anything nice. You should be like the monks and go live in a monastery on the side of a mountain. Deny yourself all earthly pleasure. But then other preachers preach what has been labeled through the years, the decades of prosperity doctrine. Oh, bless God. If you praise God, you'll live your best life. That's, I wasn't trying to sound like anybody specific. But, but you know, like, and, and if, you, if you praise God, 
You're going to have the, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and right next to his cattle is going to be your mansion. It's for you today. I claim it in Jesus' name. I heard a preacher one time that sat and came and preached. Uh, he preached one time at our church. I don't think he ever came back, thank God. Uh, and I don't think he's in our, in our movement or organization anymore, thank God. Um, but he, he, t- he talked about how he just would say, grace, grace. My family, I'm not going to look at them because they're going to make me laugh because they know what I'm talking about. It's grace, grace. He said, so I just went on this airplane. I got put in regular class. I said, you know, Lord, you're the guy that owns all things. And I want to sit in first class today. So I said, grace, grace. And within moments, they moved me up to first class. I'm like. And he told like five stories like this about saying grace, grace. Like it was magic. Like, like he just pulled out the genie, rubbed in the grace, grace, and then like got what he wanted. I'm like, this guy's done lost. I was only like 13, and I was like smart enough to know he's lost his mind. There ain't no scripture for that. And so, so really, you got to land somewhere in the middle. Are we supposed to be monks that live in the mountainside in a monastery and deny ourselves all earthly pleasure? Or are we just going to say grace, grace, and get the, the, the first class airport wherever we go? Well, both are wrong. Both are wrong. When we align in obedience with God, he promises always to take care of our basic needs and necessities. But that does not mean that we get every material blessing that we could ever want. But don't be afraid to thank God when he gives you blessing. This is, I'm kind of in this principles for life mode right here. Very, because this is training, this is teaching, this is life teaching. I want to talk to you about a spirit of poverty. Don't be afraid to thank God when he blesses you. A spirit of poverty will cause you to actually be ashamed of the blessings of God. If you are a faithful and generous steward of the Lord, meaning you understand your role in watching over his resources, that's all I am. I work, my wife has her business, and, but we're still, no matter where your resources come from, we're just stewards of God's stuff. And if we understand that, we're blessed. We're going to be blessed. Somehow people, some people receive blessings from God, and they almost apologize for them. Don't ever apologize for the blessings of God. You know, if I walk up and I say, hey, I want to take you to lunch today, and somebody says, hey, pastor took you to lunch today, I hope you're not going to be like, and I'm sorry, I just, I don't know why he did it, I'm nothing, and he just, he just, I don't even know why he asked me, I just, what in the world, say, yeah, he did, it was awesome, at least the food, hopefully, maybe not the company so much, but, now, if you're not susceptible, susceptible to that, trap of a poverty mentality, the enemy will actually try the opposite approach. Unlike the poverty mentality, you have to watch the other side, and that's why I can't make a blanket statement, because every person is different. But the other side you have to watch for is pride. Pride says, ha! I've, I've earned this stuff. You know how hard I work? I went and got an education at school, and I work hard. I am a hard, I fought to get to this place. You see, Deuteronomy 8.11 says, but that is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty, you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, and decrees that I'm giving you today. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, stop there, because I think that describes a lot of us. 
Many of you, some of you have not, and that's not, a, uh, it's not an indictment against you, but many of you had breakfast this morning, you're full, you're prosperous, and you built fine homes to live in. That's us. That describes a large majority of our culture. He says, beware, though, when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else. Be careful. He says, do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. You were a slave. We were slaves to sin. God brought us out. Now we're living a blessed life. Be careful that you don't forget. Do not forget that he led you through great and terrifying wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions. I wish I could bring up so many of you. Sister Foster and I talked about it after last week. I wish I could bring up, brother and sister Hamilton have told me their story. I wish I could just bring up testimonies of people that walked through some dry areas where there were scorpions. And, and, and they didn't always have what they have now. And the financial picture wasn't always what it is now. But you know what? They said, I just kept trusting God. And I just kept tithing. And I just kept being a giver. And this is what happened. And this is the way God provided. And God did this. How many of you can raise a hand and say, I would be one of those testimonies? He fed you with manna in the wilderness. He, what, is, what is this saying? He was our provider. At a time where we had just left, we had nothing. But he provided. He made a way. He did this. He did this so you would never say to yourself, verse 17, he did this so you would never say, ah! have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. I know some of you are educated, highly educated. You are hardworking people. You have great jobs, but you have not got there by yourself. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful. In other words, to fulfill the covenant, you confirm with your answers with an oath. In a, he's saying we better never forget who our provider is. Tithing and giving generous offerings are two things that keep that at the forefront of our minds. The spirits of poverty and pride work from opposite ends of the spectrum. However, they do have a common root. They both get us to focus on stuff rather than God. We become more centered on the blessing rather than the blesser. And so since this is real talk, you might say, well, I've never heard that. What do you mean by that? Let's go ahead and look at a, a real-life example. What does the spirit of pride say? spirit of pride says, wealth comes from hard work. I've worked hard for this. spirit of poverty says, wealth comes from the devil. The Bible tells us to not... To, to, to hate money. Just, just, just show me where it says that. Well, there's that scripture that says the love of money is the root of all evil. Yep, you're right. Don't love money. But money's amoral. Not good or bad. It's how you view it and use it and the way it impacts you. So, really, wealth comes from hard work. Wealth comes from the devil. I, I'm kind of on that white line there in the middle. Spirit of pride, next one, you should be proud of what you have. Spirit of poverty says you should be ashamed of what you have. You know what's crazy is you'll meet these people on both ends of the spectrum in churches today. You should be proud of 
what you have. Maybe you should be ashamed. Both are traps because they both focus on things rather than God. I want to give you some real world examples of how these spirits can sneak into your life. How do you personally respond when someone compliments your suit, your dress, your tie, your song, your speaking? How do you respond? Somebody comes up to you right now and says, hey, that's a nice tie. It's a beautiful dress you're wearing. I'll give you a chance to think about it. You're all such good-looking people. You get these compliments all the time. Pride will say, well, this is actually imported from Europe. It's not. It's actually men's warehouse. But <laughs> Poverty says, oh, his old thing? I got this on clearance at Target. Don't even raise your hand, but some of you have said these things. Especially the poverty one. Because when you're in church a long time, you know that that's not accepted very well. So a lot of church people live right here. That's a great watch you got. Oh, that thing I actually got in clearance. It was it was on Groupon and 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 it, and it works and like, like the spirit of pride tries to make people think. Hear me. The spirit of pride tries to make people think we paid more than we really did. The spirit of poverty wants people to think we paid less. Poverty feels the need to justify purchases. Because owning nice things is of the devil. So I try to minimize what I own so you think, so you don't think that I'm less spiritual. I'm going to be extremely open. Again, I'm going to do that this whole series this weekend. And next week, I'm going to tell my story a little more in depth. But I'll say this about my wife and I and our our financial journey. Um, You know, we, we personally battled the spirit of poverty when God started to bless us. We did. We tried to apologize for being blessed. And we're blessed. You know, we, we feel like we, have, we, I mean, we nice clothes, at least we like them. As long as my wife says, there's my handsome husband, I don't care what you think. I mean, as long as I come downstairs and she says, there is my handsome husband. I, I don't care if you all say that. It's terrible. It's an ugly tie. It's an ugly shirt. I'll say my wife likes it. I feel like we have nice vehicles. I know some of you would rather I drive a Ford rather than a Chevy. Noah, where you at, man? Got my back. All right. We have a nice home in a nice neighborhood. I've had people make comments to me about these things, either in a complimentary fashion or in a critical fashion. I've had all. And I caught myself answering at times, trying to minimize God's blessing. And then through prayer, counsel with mentors, reading, reading this book, it, it really gave me a freedom in my mind to just look at people in the eye and say something very simple. Thank you. God has really blessed our family. That's it. That's a nice suit. Thank you. 
Oh, you live in a nice house. Thank you. God's really, really blessed me more than I deserve. That's it. Because I know I'm not here because I'm intelligent and I've worked hard and I'm educated and I have the world by the tail. But I'm also not going to live over here. I know, well, yeah, you know, it's just, it's just I don't know, God, it's just, yeah, I'm sorry. It's just, no. I'll keep saying it again and again. God uses things to test our hearts and to reveal what's inside. The truth is, you ready for this one? God not only uses our stuff to test us. Everybody, everybody tuned in because this is good. God not only uses our stuff, our own, your own stuff to test your heart. But he also uses other people's stuff as well. How we respond to someone else being blessed says so much about the condition of our hearts. And you're the only, I can get up here, you're the only one, I can preach this, you are the only one who knows where your heart is. Because when someone says, I took a vacation, you're like, man, again, I wish I could take a vacation. Must be nice. You know, sister so-and-so got another pair of new shoes. Honey, I don't remember the last time I bought a new pair of new shoes. You know, so-and-so just got a raise in their job. I've been sending out resumes everywhere. I can't even get an interview. You're the only one that knows the condition of your heart. But if that's what you're saying, there's a heart problem. At the end of the day, if you got a new suit, which I know you're thinking, man, working that job, hook me up, Bob. But he got a new suit. And you got a new house, and you guys got a new car, and you got a raise, and you start a new job. And that's crazy because I accidentally just did that, and I just pointed to a couple of people that actually that's happening. It's weird. <laughs> I don't think it's prophetic, but it felt cool. Um, but uh, you, if, 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 if you're doing this, right, if, if, if you're my brother or my sister, we're family, my goodness, I want you to get a new job. I want you to get a raise. I love that you're on vacation. I kind of hate it sometimes on Sunday mornings when I'm preaching and half people are gone. That part stinks. But I love that you have the resources to invest in your family, to get away, to, to, to go and, and, and to go see your son at college. You know, I, I, hate, I hate not when brother, brother uh, and sister Purcell aren't here. But you know what? They get to go visit their son in St. Louis, and they have the resources, the means to do that. Thank God they can go invest in their boy. That, you know, that, that if, if we're thankful, we can say, this is, this is wonderful. This is great. You're my brother. You're my sister. I want you blessed. Because I don't want to be doing a series on the blessed life where as a church we're going, yes, I hope I live the blessed life more than all of them. Let's all live a blessed life. Let's all. Let's, uh, that's why we have a benevolent fund. You, everybody's going to hit tough times at times. But the blessed people, when they open up, God multiplies the loaves and fish. And then we can bless someone who's going through a struggle. And when that person gets through their struggle, they're going to invest back in that benevolent fund. That's the way the body works. 
So do you have a heart issue? Well, you're the only one that can answer that. How do you handle when other people are blessed? Dave Ramsey tells that story about the guy that people at this church, he bought this $100,000 car, and everybody's talking trash about him. And man, I mean, you know what that could have done for charity, for the poor people. You know, that could have done for our community. And nobody knows that that guy was giving millions of dollars to the church. Listen, don't judge other people's choices. That old saying my grandma used to say, it still rings true today. Anybody his grandma say this? Do you know where I'm going? Raise your hand if you think I know where I'm going. I'm going. Three people. It goes like this. Sweep your own porch. My grandma used to say this to me all the time. Oh, Gary, just sweep your own porch. So when I start to look at my neighbors, I try to say, no, grandma's saying sweep your own porch. Go back to sweeping. You know what's kind of sad is Abraham, father of the faithful, the, the one who gets the, 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 the promise of a great nation. Do you know he wouldn't be welcomed in a lot of churches today? Do you know that? Because Genesis 13, 2 says, Abram was very rich in livestock, gold, and silver. Is that unbelievable that he wouldn't be welcome in a lot of churches because, well, bless God, look at the camels he rides. And he has so many of them. Matter of fact, do you know I walked in and his camel had golden, just bags of gold and silver hanging off the sides of his camel this morning. And then he walks in and he had a custom made robe on today. Listen, praise God, Abram. I'm so thankful to see what God is doing in your life. Come on, worship with us. Man, we are so thankful to see. Hey, guys, Abram's been faithful. And you know what? Abram is the one that paid his tithe before the law of Moses. He was blessed. So you do some real self-evaluation. First, ask yourself these questions. Am I looking to God or people to meet my needs? Do I get angry or resentful with people who don't help me as I want them to? And do I blame others for my circumstances? These are all indicators of looking to people rather than God as your source of provision. And when you look to people rather than God, you will always end up bitter. Always, always. It never, it happens all the time. If you start looking at my current state versus their current state, and I wonder it, and look what they're doing, look what I'm doing, it's just going to make you bitter. So what exactly is in your heart today? How do you view money? How do you view your blessings? How do you view the blessings of others? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Just remember that a number 10 has always been a test. How will you handle the test that comes along with earthly blessings and increase? And as I wrap up, when you think about your situation in life, pride says, I deserve more. Poverty says, I should feel guilty. 
gratitude says. Thank you. Listen, if you're blessed, if you say, wow, you're so blessed. You know, I feel the same way. Thank you so much, God. Thank you, God. Don't apologize for your blessing. But also don't flaunt it. Thank you. When someone says, wow, you have a nice house, pride says, oh, we intend to big, build a bigger one. Poverty says, oh, yeah, it was a foreclosure. Gratitude says, thank you. God has been so good to us. That's the blessed life. Be com get comfortable being blessed. Because if you are aligning with God's principles and promises, and you're a giver, and you're willing to take the five loaves and two fish, and I'm wrapping up. If you want to take the five loaves and two fish, and you take what's in your hand, and you're willing to open the hand to allow things to multiply, watch what God does. Watch what God does. Watch what he does. But no matter what your situation is here today, I know that I'm speaking to people online sitting here today that some of you are going, you know what, we are so blessed. And others of you are going, he's talking about being blessed and having houses and having this. I, can't, I can barely make my bills. I'm struggling. Well, first of all, say, am I aligned with his promises? If you are, stay faithful. I'm telling you, God does not promise. He does not promise that we're going to live in mansions and, and uh, you know, drive brand new cars. He doesn't promise all that. But he does say, I'll always take care of you. I'll always take care of you. I'll always take care of you. And so no matter where we are, we're all blessed. We just sang a song right before we I started preaching about my past erased. My life, it's been changed. I testify about that. We have been blood-bought, washed in the blood. Sins have been remitted, washed away. He's placed his spirit inside us. He, has, he hears our prayers. He's opened up the gates for us to come into his presence. Listen, no matter what, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, in everything, give thanks. That's the will. You, you say, I wish I knew God's will for my life. It's right there. Everything, give thanks. That means if the car broke down, if you live in a house that you hate, if the job is just one that you're biding your time until you can get a better one, no matter where you are, if you feel like the most blessed person in the world or the most cursed person in the world, the only thing we can do is say, am I blessed or cursed? Because I need to look at the word of God. It talks about those things. But if I'm in alignment, then I know, hey, God, I'm going I'm to worship you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to thank you. I'm going to praise you, whatever my situation is, whatever the checkbook register says. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to exalt you. And so as we stand to our feet today, every person in the building has something to give thanks for. If you say, no, monetarily, I ain't there. That's fine. But has he washed your sins away? Has he forgiven you? Has he died on the cross for you? Has God heard your prayers? Has God kept you safe? Has God provided when he needed to? Maybe it's not, maybe it's not 12 baskets left over yet. But as far as I can see, we're still all clothed. Hallelujah. God's still, he's still doing it. He's still providing. But I don't want to get to the point where I'm looking at someone else or 
He's my provider. Even when times are tough, He's my provider. He's my provider. Well, this month has been tough. I can't pay my tithes. What? You really want to face the month with, without the blessing of God? What? President Trump's spiritual advisor is taking all kinds of heat right now because she said, as Christians, we should be paying our tithes before any other bill. People are going crazy. What are you talking about? Fights and this and that. If I pay my tithe, it's not even mine. I'm aligning myself for God to be my provider. So I don't know what else she believes, but I'll say amen on that. And so today, this can be a beautiful altar call. Why? Because if every person in this building finds a place to pray, and just for this morning, just offers a prayer of thanks. Let's save the wants and the desires for tomorrow. He knows what you want. We tell him, we'll tell him again. We've already told him, I'm sure. But today, what if every human in, in, in the building just begins to offer a prayer of thanks? Oh God, he's given, he's given you talents. He's provided clothing and resources, a place to live, food to eat. He's given you children, many of you, healthy families. He's, he's provided. He's forgiven your sins. He's washed them away. He's opened up a door like we've re- talked about for the tabernacle for you to come into his presence. Just every one of us can give thanks in all things for that is the will of God for us. So can we do that this morning? Can we wrap up this service just by just finding a place to begin to thank God for what he's done, for who he is, for what he has provided. Thank you, Jesus.